National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Benedict XVI's mortal remains were laid to rest January 5th in the crypt of St. Peter's Basilica. Tens of thousands of the Church's faithful mourned him this week from Rome. Among them was the Register's Rome correspondent Edward Penton and senior editor Jonathan Liedel, who covered the funeral for the Register. They join us now with impressions from this week in Rome and insights into Benedict's great legacy. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, your host here on Register Radio. It really has been a most unusual week for the Church, as we have mourned Benedict XVI, the 264th successor of St. Peter, and the first Pope in over 600 years to resign the papacy. All of this means that the events of this week were really unprecedented in modern history, and with that came various expectations uh, for what uh, the funeral would be. It was simple, yet solemn. Let's invite Edward Penton on. He's a longtime Rome correspondent. Uh, Edward, this really was an unusual week. In your estimation, what were the most notable highlights of the funeral and burial of Pope Benedict? Hi, Jeanette. Yes, well, it was, um, as you say, it was an unprecedented uh, funeral. We've never had this. Well, we haven't had such a funeral of a a pope um, bearing his predecessor since 1802, which was when on a certain... I won't go into it now, but rather complex circumstances that happened before. Um, but yes, no, it was it was quite remarkable in the sense that um, here you had Pope Francis celebrating uh, the the funeral of his predecessor, and and the liturgy I think was very simple uh, but solemn. It was some, according to Benedict's wishes. Uh, it was interesting though that there was no Roman canon, which is the ancient uh, prayer, of course, uh, at the Mass for the Eucharist, but that wasn't included for the first time in a, in a mass for a pope uh, since the 6th century. So that was quite, uh, quite surprising. But, um, but on the whole, it was um, a very moving ceremony. As you say, there were tens of thousands of faithful who'd gathered here. And uh, it was um, a, a very dignified send-off, I would say, to, to the late Holy Father. And who was in attendance? Uh, I read, I think, in a report that you wrote that were expected to have nearly 4,000 priests in attendance. Uh, Who else? Mm. Yes, well, because it wasn't uh, the funeral of a reigning pontiff, we didn't have the full um, delegations that one would normally have. So you had only two official delegations from Germany and Italy, and the others uh, came on a personal basis. So you had the presidents of Poland and Hungary, for example, they came on a personal basis uh, to the funeral, but not as many as one might have for a reigning pontiff. But uh, yes, we had lots of priests. And that was, I think, indicative of Benedict's life. He was very much, as one priest said to me years ago, I think when he was still a cardinal, he called him a priest's cardinal. He was a, a, a cardinal and a bishop and a pope who loved the priesthood and had a great affection for priests, and they loved him too. And I think that showed at the funeral. We had such a big turnout of priests from all over the world. And um, it was it was very moving to see that. And also the fact that um, obviously you had lots of bishops come over and cardinals too. Including Cardinal Zen. Indeed, yes. Cardinal Zen came. He There was some um, doubt whether he could leave Hong Kong, but he was given permission to leave. And he came very happily and was 
uh, very on very good form. I understand. I haven't seen him here yet, but uh, I think he's very, very happy to be here. Yeah. So Edward, you have been covering uh, Benedict, really for for many years. The eight years of his papacy. I mean, you've you've been in mm-hmm. Rome as a Vatican correspondent for for more than twenty years. Um, what does this feel like to you? What are your memories? What are the, the highlights that you would want to share about Benedict's uh, legacy? Right. Well, I mean, I just remember those eight years very fondly because to report on them, it was a great honor in a sense because you had here you had a pope who was a great teacher and a great um, communicator of the faith. And he managed to present the mysteries of the faith and the great complexities of theology in a very simple and accessible way. And to report on that was was a great joy. I have to say, it was um, you, it was almost like you were sort of participating in his in his evangelization of the world, in a sense. And it was um, something that uh, yes, yeah, one 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 really enjoyed. Also, I went on a few trips with him um, to two to Germany, one to Malta, and of course his state visit to Britain in 2010. And uh, those were all great privileges to do too and it was very interesting i was just looking back at some of the things i wrote on his last trip to germany and how at every trip that he made he gave he was he was surprising in that he would um although there was lots of opposition to him um really i think because of his orthodoxy and the fact that he was willing to to stand up for truths hard truths which the world can't or has trouble accepting um he often attracted opposition before he came to those countries but once he arrived, just because of his gracious presence and I think his own personal holiness, all of that uh, opposition tend to just dissipate and people loved him and were willing to, to listen to him, even in his native Germany where he was often not so warmly accepted. That's right. And I, I know we'll be talking in a few minutes with Jonathan Liedel, who was able to visit with some of the pilgrims from Germany who came to mourn Pope Benedict. I want to talk about his legacy. Of course, in the reactions of this week, two things keep surfacing. They're the most controversial things, his resignation and uh, sexual abuse. However, uh, with Benedict, when, when he was laid to rest in his in his coffin, uh, there was placed uh, a, a an obituary written in Latin, and this is kind of the memories of the church itself um, of of Benedict the Sixteenth. What did it contain? Yes, well, it was mainly about um, his life and his just his background and and his how he was raised and and the various uh, achievements that he'd made. But yes, one one particular point in that was was uh, a tribute to him and how firm he'd been in tackling sexual abuse. Um, I think he would admit that he wasn't, you know, perfect in that. I think, as so many were in the church of his generation, they viewed the whole issue differently. Um, But I think once he realized the mistakes that had been made and the the injustices that were committed, he worked very hard to to try to correct those. And he was really the first pope to do so. John Paul, of course, the things really blew up at the end of his reign. Um, but um, with Benedict, he sort of took over that and made it a priority. Uh, and he also did, of course, as, as prefect of the cardinal, prefect cardinal for the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith as well, where a lot of these cases were, were dealt with. So, Edward, we wrote an, an editorial for the Register that speaks of Benedict's 
Happy Death. It's titled Joseph Ratzinger's Happy Death. And we kind of go through all the circumstances of his, um, of his death that makes it um, almost a model of how all of us would wish to, to pass. Uh, his middle, his name was Joseph, so he mm. had that privilege, I think, of having Saint Joseph as an intercessor his entire life, and of course, we call him the saint of a happy death. Can you tell us of of the last years? How did he prepare for death? What were his last words, even? Yes, well, he he became very accepting of death. I think he always was, but I think he he was willing to share that with with the faithful and just to say that he was um you know he he was at peace with god and that you know he was willing to entrust himself into the mercy of god um knowing of course his own failings and his own shortcomings um but he was willing to share them and i think yeah i think that was his his sense that um and then i think he was genuinely at peace and of course we saw with his last words which were um he said at three in the morning i think on the night the morning that he died, um, Jesus, I love you, or Lord, I love you. We're not quite sure which. But uh, I think that shows that um, he was very accepting of death and very close to the Lord at the end of his life. Um, he also said, one of his last words to Archbishop Genswein was asking for the faithful to pray for him as he entered his last agony and uh, the last hours of death, of life. And uh, and that also speaks for him too. This this importance of prayer, and focusing on on being com- contemplative, which is also very much an aspect of his later life, where he spent much time in prayer, praying for the church and for the faithful. Father Raymond de Souza wrote a beautiful column about Benedict's family, as he calls it. This was his papal household who accompanied him through the papacy and also to the end, so during his his time as a uh, Pope Emeritus. Uh, These were members of a community, uh, Communion of Liberation, uh, titled, their their name was Memorias Domini. Can you tell us a little more about who these people were who surrounded uh, Benedict in his final years? Yes, uh, these are consecrated laywomen, as you say, part of the communion and liberation movement. They're called Memoris Domini. Um, they're a group of, of as I say, consecrated laity. And they they basically devoted their life to looking after him, not just in his last years, but also while he was Pope. Um, and so he had a very close relationship with them in terms of, you know, they cared for him for, for many years. And uh, yes, I just think he was very very grateful for that. There was one uh, case where one of them tragically died in a car accident here in Rome, and that that hurt him very much. He was very, very um, moved by that, and uh, obviously went to uh, celebrate her funeral. Yes, it was very touching uh, to see them mourn. They were the ones who accompanied um, the the transferring of his body from his residence uh, into into state. Um, as as the body laid in state this week, and and then to see them along with uh, Archbishop Ganswein, um really praying at his tomb and in, in uh, excuse me at at his while he lay in state, um, but also at his coffin and and later at the tomb was really quite uh, moving I think uh, and and definitely um, you could see that they were family. Edward, as we have just mm. uh, you know a minute left, are there other other memories of this week or memories of this pontiff that you'd like to leave us with? 
Uh, well, really, just um, just to remember that him as a person, I think many people misunderstood him, and mainly because of the media and the media um, perspective, perception of him, which was false. He was very much a kind, as many people have said, a kind, gentle, but particularly innocent man. He had a lovely childlike innocence in the best possible way. I mean, he was just very um, removed from the world. And I think that says a lot for his own personal holiness. I think he was a very holy pope. Um, not, not, of course, flawless, not perfect like all of us, but he was somebody very close to the Lord and sought his face throughout his life. Well, Edward, I thank you so much for your coverage this week. It, you really kept us on track, uh, the registers, so many hours behind um, Rome time here in the U.S., and you were the one who really led our coverage. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jeanette. Good to be with you. When we come back, Register Senior Editor Jonathan Liedel joins us from Rome with more coverage of Benedict XVI's legacy, and this week, in Rome, Catholics across the world mourning. This is Register Radio on EWTN Global Catholic Network. There's more when we return. For nearly a century, the National Catholic Register has been moving minds, moving hearts, moving souls, and enriching our readers' lives by spreading the truth of the gospel. Today, that tradition continues with award-winning journalism that goes beyond any secular news service while bringing much-needed light and clarity to the issues and events that affect you and your family's future, all with faithful and courageous reporting guided by the teachings of the Catholic Church. It's more important than ever to join Catholics who depend on the register. Get six free issues today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by Jonathan Liedel, the Register's Senior Editor. He is currently in Rome. He was there attending, he is there attending to attend the, the funeral of Benedict XVI. He went really as a pilgrim, like many others in, in that crowd of tens of thousands of, of people. Um, he was a journalist, kind of embedded among, amongst the faithful who came to pray. Jonathan, I'm so grateful that you've had this opportunity to be there um, working from the Vatican uh, this week. What was the atmosphere like? Yeah, hey, Jeanette. Well, I, I was grateful as well, just given the role that, that Benedict uh, played played in my life. I would say the, the atmosphere here at the Vatican in the past few days, in a word, has been bittersweet, uh, because I think, obviously, the death of a figure like Pope Benedict XVI, who was so beloved by so many faithful Catholics, um, there's a sadness to it. There's a sorrow, because even though he hasn't been Pope since 2013, just his presence in the Vatican, his presence here on earth, I think was so uh, consoling uh, to many people. So there's certainly a sadness that that he's no longer with us uh, here on earth in that way. But I do, I do really think, and this might be a way in which uh, his death and his funeral um, is different uh, than someone like John Paul II's uh, in, in 2005, is that I do think there was, there was amidst the, the solemnity and amidst uh, the sorrow and some tears shed, 
I think there's a, an immense sense of gratitude uh, to God that, that we were blessed uh, to have had Benedict the, the 16th as Pope uh, for, for eight years, but then also for Joseph Ratzinger, the life of this incredible Bavarian theologian, uh, a gentle soul, a kind soul, a friend of Christ. Uh, so I think there was a great gratitude and a great, uh, a great joy, a joy that a, a man who loved Christ so much and that shone forth in his theology is God willing right now experiencing the fullest union you can have with Jesus uh, and with God. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I, actually there was a, a, a pilgrim uh, from Germany. I met Ferdinand Herder from Munich, and he, he said, uh, I'm not that sad anymore because I know he's up there. He, I, I know mm -hmm. he's, he's in heaven. And so I think that, that captures the sentiment uh, of a lot of people who, who came here this, this past few days. Yes, I've heard some say uh, that he should be, um, you know, a, a, an intercessor of endurance. <laughs> um, and I think that certainly would be true. I think he, he's, he definitely showed us perseverance uh, in the faith and endurance in the faith, even amidst the chaos of life. Uh, so, mm -hmm. God willing, we will be calling upon him in that way in, in, in the future. You, you said you met some Germans in the crowd. You, you chronicled a bit about that at ncregister.com. Um, what was their delegation like? Yeah, well, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, Pope Benedict XVI uh, is such a beloved figure in so many parts of the world. In fact, one German told me, uh, that he's more beloved in every country other than Germany, just, I think, revealing the, con <laughs> the, the complicated legacy um, and the ways in which certain factions in Germany have viewed Joseph Ratzinger and Pope Benedict XVI. But I think you, you could not mistake uh, that Pope Benedict XVI uh, was Joseph Ratzinger and that he came from Bavaria, because at the funeral, uh, just a strong uh, contingency of Bavarian Catholics there who were just so proud uh, of this man from their region, who who was the first German pope in a thousand years, wearing their their kind of uh, you know customary ethnic uh, clothing. Uh, I don't know if they're lederhosen because that's kind of more of a summer thing, but definitely um, uh, the hats and the coats. And there was a brass band playing, um, so it was very it was very beautiful to see that 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 clear Bavarian uh, personality and influence upon Pope Benedict. Benedict the Sixteenth presence among those who were mourning him, because that's a very important part of his identity. I think also, I you know something that struck me is that we were celebra celebrating the the funeral of uh, you know the German Pope at the same time when the Church in Germany is undergoing uh, you know an immense period of crisis and difficulty, represented in the synodal way, this very controversial uh, heterodoxical movement um, to to basically. Uh, re-engineer church teaching to, to match progressive values. Uh, and so I, a lot of my conversations and interviews with Germans in the square uh, were, what do you think will be Pope Benedict XVI's influence, impact going forward, particularly mm -hmm. at this time in difficulty in the German church? And I think the three things that stuck out, um, one was was told to me by Birgetz Kelly, who is a, a widely acclaimed journalist in, in Germany, who is also the spokeswoman uh, for a new beginning, which is uh, a lave movement that is opposed to the synodal way and says it doesn't represent uh, the true desires of the German faithful. And she told me, you know, Benedict's, uh, his death at this time is going to impact the conversation in the synodal way because all of what he stood for, 
his opposition to relativism, his emphasis on the the enduring uh, the enduring uh, permanency of the the truths of the faith, no matter the age, no matter how the times change. All of that will be given new life, and will be able to enter into the discussion that they're having in German Catholicism right now. So that was one thing, his theological legacy. Other people also pointed to his, his impact among the youth, especially in Bavaria. Uh, you know, there's this phenomenon called uh, Generation Ratzinger. Uh, hmm. When he became pope in 2005, um, you know, his writings, which go back decades, uh, and his, his vision of Christianity— uh, this combination of Bavarian piety uh, with, with this kind of uh, beautiful humanism, right? Like Christ is the fulfillment of all human desires, really influenced a generation of, of Bavarian Catholics. And we, we talked to some people who, who said in the German seminaries right now, Ratzinger is increasingly uh, taught, right? So even though you have uh, hierarchical figures in the German church who, who are perhaps uh, not following his vision, we see among the the future of the church in Germany uh, that is present. And then I think the final way, which I which I th- I think we don't just say this is a, a kind of pious platitude, but a number of German Catholics told me that they will they will look to Pope Benedict XVI as a patron, as an intercessor, as someone who can pray for them now, unite to God as they go through this difficult period uh, in German uh, in the history of German Catholicism. So you you speak you spoke at the very beginning of his, uh, Benedict's impact on your own life that you know led to uh, your greater excitement of being there for this moment and you're now talking about the impact of of uh, Benedict on on so many of these young people that you spoke to. Let's turn back to your personal experience. What what is it? How did he impact you? I think the best way to, to, to answer that is to first start off with the opening line of Deus Caritas, his encyclical on the love of God. And he says that being a Christian is not the product of a lofty idea or an ethical choice, but an encounter with, a, with an event, with a person, with Jesus Christ. And I think what Benedict um, really helped me, and I think thousands, if not tens of thousands or more people realize, is that theology, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of wisdom— uh, is inseparable from relationship and intimacy with Jesus Christ. They're one in the same. You want to know more about the one you love. And I think he really helped me see how, how prayer uh, and, and study, how, how wisdom and, and mysticism go together. And I think if we really look at his entire theological corpus, I think he impacted me in that way on a personal level. But if we broaden that out, this underscores everything he he emphasized, everything he developed, everything he talked about, relationship with Christ. It underscored how he talked about morality. Morality is not just about following a list of rules, but it's about cooperating with the way God made us, right? It's about remaining in relationship and fidelity with Jesus Christ. The way he talked about the liturgy, we don't, you know, just want incense and, you know, high pomp and circumstance liturgy. Uh, because it's fancy or cool or anything like that, but because it's it's genuinely the way that we can most fully enter into that contemplative union with Christ in the liturgy. So I think that Christocentric uh, core, and if we think of when Joseph Ratzinger emerged on the scene as, and as Pope Benedict, we have we had a period of neo-scholasticism before where maybe Jesus was somewhat lost from sight uh, a little bit, and I think he helped refocus that, and then certainly moving forward into the I don't know if forward is the right word, but into the, this period of secular progressivism that we're in, 
never letting the church lose sight of Jesus Christ. The church cannot be reduced to a mere you know, NGO or charitable organization. It's utterly meaningless if it's not connected to, to Jesus Christ. So I think th- that's in general, but I think even you know, talking about his legacy in, in the church in the, over the next handful of decades or century, I think the phrase I would come back to also is hermeneutic of continuity. Mm-hmm. I think Vatican II... Uh, which we know councils take a long time to fully receive and implement. And we're, we're obviously not quite there yet in terms of as a church. Um, I mean, there, there are elements that, that reject, um, you know, Vatican II, right? And I think Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, with, with the emphasis on hermeneutic of con- the hermeneutic of continuity, helps us see how we can fruitfully and faithfully receive the teachings of the council uh, in continuity with the 2,000 years of the church that came before it, uh, but also confidently uh, articulating the gospel in this present age. And I think that will will continue to be uh, just such a vital uh, teaching and insight of his that we lean upon over these next decades and beyond. I couldn't agree with you more. And really, Jonathan, everything you've said in, in this conversation, has, it kind of points to what the register uh, covered in our commemorative issue uh, January 15th is the issue date for our, our print publication, so the newspaper. And in that, we talk about uh, Benedict, priest, prefect, and pope, and we, we ask that he rest in peace, but we go into every aspect of what you were just talking about. Um, uh, Father Raymond D'Souza, who was also there in Rome covering these events and anchoring for EWTN, um, talks about Joseph Ratzinger's greatest proposal being the reasonableness of faith. And that's something mm. you were talking about just now. As we close, in, in, in a snippet, I will, I will talk a little bit about his spiritual testament. This was mm. something that was released. Benedict wrote it uh, in 2006, and it was just released upon his death. And it talks precisely about the reasonableness of faith and that the social sciences, which sometimes uh, we want to turn to and say, oh, these show that faith isn't quite so reasonable. Uh, he said mm. he warns against that. And he basically mm-hmm. says we need to place our, our trust in Jesus, that he, as you just said so eloquently, uh, he's the perfection of humanity and that mm-hmm. uh, we should turn to him in navigating the challenges of this time. So I invite all of our, our listeners to go to ncregister.com, look at our coverage of the legacy of Pope John Paul. Jonathan, I'm grateful for your coverage there in Rome, and we look forward to more. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For my producer, Jeff Burson, and for myself, Jeanette DeMello, I pray that until next week, God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.